In this episode, you will discover the unbelievably effective hidden gem in reducing IBS symptoms. Welcome to Gut Reactions, a podcast helping women to break free from symptoms, master their gut health and reclaim their lives. Here we talk all things IBS and absolutely nothing is off the table. I'm your host, Otavia, a nutritional therapist, and you guessed it, I'm an IBS warrior myself. In this podcast, we'll talk about the impact IBS has on our daily lives, how we can live well with IBS, and most importantly, how we could heal our IBS symptoms for good. Because let's be honest, living with IBS can be a little bit shit. Hello, welcome to another episode of Gut Reactions, and this week we are going to talk about three top tips for reducing IBS. By the end of this episode, you will know the true role of food intolerances in IBS, why probiotics might not work for IBS, and the incredible IBS hack that can massively reduce bloating overnight. So let's get into it. So the true role of food intolerances in IBS. God, that's a tongue twister. Okay. Why do we talk about food intolerances when it comes to IBS? If you have IBS or IBS symptoms, your gut is in a place where it probably cannot tolerate certain foods because your gut is probably damaged. It has some kind of bacterial imbalance. There's something going on in your gut which is causing your symptoms, right? And those things probably mean that your gut cannot tolerate certain foods, not all foods, but certain foods to a different level. And that will be very individual to each each of us. You will be very different to the next person with IBS and the next person with IBS. Not only that, but in some cases, both of these things can be true. You can have a gut that can't tolerate certain foods and you can have foods that are actually causing your IBS symptoms. So this might sound like the same thing, but actually in some situations, for example, if you have lactose intolerance, you don't have the enzyme that you need to break down lactose, which is in dairy and milk. And so then your gut's like, oh my God, what do I do with this? I can't break this down. Oh my God, I'm just going to give you the runs right? (laughs) Thanks gut. But you could also be in a place where your gut is so damaged that it has a piece of, I don't know, carrot or oats or there's nothing intrinsically wrong with that food in your biochemistry. It's just that your gut is really damaged that it can't handle and break down those certain foods. So it can cause bloating, flatulence, that kind of stuff. So you can, it can be one of those reasons or in some people it can be both those reasons, right? Why is it so important then to look at food intolerances? Firstly, if we're trying to heal the gut, we need to remove anything that's triggering it or exacerbating it or making it worse, right? Because say you have a bacterial overgrowth of a certain bacteria, say you've got candida overgrowth, just for example. Candida is like a type of yeast, right? If there are certain foods that are feeding that yeast, but you're going to try and get rid of it, like you can't really get rid of it if you're feeding the beast, yeah? Or you're feeding the yeast. (laughs) So you need to get rid of the things that are triggering the symptoms to then be able to heal the gut, so if you've got bacterial imbalance but you're and you're taking a probiotic but then you're also eating foods that are feeding that bacteria, it's kind of like you take two steps forward, one step back. Or sometimes you take two steps forward and two steps back, right? That's why it's so important to identify them. And the best way to do this, obviously, is through a reputable food intolerance test. I would recommend Cambridge Nutritional Sciences for that. Because... <laughs> Not only are they trustworthy, but if you if you know and you identify or somebody else knows and identifies as your food intolerances, I can help you and guide you in how to manage them and how to respond and how long to cut them out for and what would be the best process. That takes so much stress and guesswork out of your IBS symptoms and out of your food intolerance issues, right? There's nothing more stressful than being like, 
how did I have porridge every day for 20 years and then I didn't have it for a while and then I ate it three days in a row and now I'm bloated but why like but then sometimes it's fine and sometimes it's not because it could be a case of you have an intolerance or your food your gut can't tolerate certain foods in certain amounts so I had a friend who was telling me oh my friend's got gluten intolerance but they only notice it like it's only intolerance when they eat a lot of gluten so they eat a lot of wheat they might eat a lot of cakes and the way I explained it to them was it's not that it's a certain level that they're intolerant to necessarily it's that if they have a gluten intolerance and they eat gluten it will be damaging the gut but you reach a threshold when you eat a certain amount that you notice the symptoms so it could be that you have a piece of cake and you don't get any belly symptoms maybe but you might you might feel a little bit tired or fatigued and you might not really know that those things are too are linked but if you have three pieces of cake your gut's like okay I can't take this now like this I've reached the tipping point and now I'm going to like explode into a bloated belly right because you've reached a tipping point doesn't mean that you're only intolerant when you eat a certain amount it means that the more you eat the closer you are to noticing symptoms or triggering belly symptoms right gut symptoms and for most of us, if we have food intolerances, they're very different to allergies. Obviously, they're very different things. They can be very slow acting, can intolerances. And maybe even like 48, 24 to 48 hours after eating the food, you can notice the symptoms. So you could have something for dinner the night before and it's not until the next day that you notice the symptoms. And then you're like, well, what was that? Like, maybe I have the same breakfast every day, but now today I'm bloated. But it could be because you ate something last night. And then that the mixture with another food has caused symptoms, right? So what I'm kind of getting at here is that how confusing that is. <laughs> it's so confusing because we're like, what the F is going on? Like, how come I'm fine one minute and then the next I'm not, but I'm not changing anything that I'm eating? That just causes stress and frustration. And what does stress exacerbate? <laughs> it exacerbates IBS because it puts us in fight or flight, stops our guts from working as well as they could be. And it just can expand the bloating and any kind of symptoms that you have that can trigger 10 times worse, right? So that's why it's so important to identify, um, you know, scientifically, properly, the food intolerances that you have. Now, if you can't or you're not prepared to invest in a food intolerance test, you can look for food diaries and complete a food diary and try and notice patterns. But I would be mindful that that can also be quite confusing and overwhelming and if you, for example, are really stressed and then you notice symptoms and you think, oh, I ate... Um, I don't know I ate an apple it must have been that it doesn't really prove that it was the apple because it could have been the fact that you were stressed or it could have been the fact you were at a certain place in your menstrual cycle so definitely would recommend doing a proper food intolerance test that's scientifically verified because it just takes out all the guesswork takes a lot of the stress out of your hand and out of your heads and you don't have to worry about it right so what about when we're talking about probiotics so the second thing we're talking about today why probiotics might not work for IBS now you probably know this probiotics their aim is to repopulate beneficial bacteria in the gut that we need to keep us healthy to keep us regular to keep us you know not bloated not inflamed there are millions of different types of probiotics and different strains they all do a different job one of them will be to help metabolize and break down carbohydrates. One will be to synthesize hormones. One will be to, uh, I don't know, like reduce inflammation. But if you're having a probiotic that has a strain for, I don't know, regulating constipation, but you don't have constipation, you have loose stools, you're taking the wrong thing. You need to know that you're taking the actual correct strain based on your symptoms. So if you've ever had probiotics and you think, oh, it didn't really work, well, actually, it made me worse. 
maybe it's not probiotics. Probiotics is such a huge umbrella term for loads of different strains that you can have within that, right? It's like saying, oh, I'm taking vitamins. Okay, which vitamins are you taking? Say you have low energy and you need B vitamins because they help to produce energy, but your multivitamin doesn't have B vitamins. It has ions and, I don't know, vitamin K or something. It's like you're, you think you're taking the right thing, but actually you need to look at what's in it, the strain that's in it. So that can be one reason why probiotics might not work. Another reason could be that you're not noticing that the issue is maybe actually higher up. So if you look at probiotics helping with your intestines and your bacterial balance in your intestines generally, right? If you have poor or low quality stomach acid, that's not an insult. <laughs> maybe you do. I don't know. I'm not accusing anybody. But if you have low quality stomach acid and your stomach acid isn't very good, it doesn't have a lot of the enzymes and the things that that it needs to break down the foods then that can also cause problems in your intestines right because say for example you eat a sandwich and then your stomach acid is so low quality it hasn't broken down the sandwich fully and then it's going to try and push it into your intestines to start the digestion process but your intestines go whoa whoa hold on there i can't take that that sandwich ain't broken down like that's going to damage me so either the intestines will accept it and it will cause things like damage, maybe some bloating, maybe some pain, or in some instances, the um, the sphincter between the stomach and the intestines, yeah, I know it's a gross word, it will not open and it goes, nobody, don't want that. You haven't, you haven't finished your part of the job yet. And the stomach stays, the, the, the sandwich stays there in the stomach. Now, what happens in that situation can be that we get acid reflux, we get heartburn, maybe we get silent reflux. We get indigestion because the sandwich isn't moving into the into the intestines like it should, right? So if you're taking probiotics, and pro some probiotics can certainly definitely help with managing like stomach acid, and that's not their main job, but it can help to regulate it. But if you're not actually looking at the issue in your stomach acid, if you have, I'm not saying everybody has this, but if you have poor stomach acid, then it's not going to make any difference, right, if you're taking probiotics. So that's another reason. And I would definitely recommend having a look at a supplement company called OptiBac. So O-P-T-I-B-A-C if you are taking probiotics because they scientifically research the supplements and they can be great with, you know, like customer support and helping you make a, a good decision in terms of what probiotics to use. But also make sure you get, you know, the okay from a registered health professional too. Blah, blah, blah. Okay. So enough of the heavy stuff what about the incredible ibs hack that can massively reduce bloating overnight there's a lot of wild claims going on here guys but i'm not going to disappoint you so the hack is called the 80 percent rule have you seen how to live to 100 on netflix that series looks at the five blue zones in the world and those five blue zones are places in the world where people live the longest the healthiest so they ain't hooked up to life support machines and on loads of medications and living in care homes. They're healthy. They're moving around. They're, they've got low levels of disease. They're fit. You know, they're like, some of them are like over 100 and they're still riding horses. I'm like, what's going on? Um, obviously, you need to watch the program for context on that. Um, but in one of these regions, Okinawa, Japan, they identified that people, one of the things that these people would do who live there would be to stop eating when they were 80% full. Hence the 80% full or the 80% rule. So they don't eat when they're 100% full or I don't know, like a lot of people when they're 150% full because we our eyes are bigger than our bellies, right? <laughs> Gluttony. They stop eating when they're 80% full. But why does this help? Like how does this help with IBS and how can this help with bloating? It's because if you don't overburden your gut all the time and reach it and push it to its full capacity, 
you're allowing it a little bit of leeway to just be to to not to have to constantly digest because it has time away from digesting what will it do instead it's like oh i don't have to digest anything oh i know i'll start the healing process I'll start to reduce the inflammatory levels. I'm not constantly being triggered all the time. I can calm down for a little bit. I'm not having to be inflamed so much. So that's why the 80% foot rule can really, really help. But what about if you can't do the 80% rule or you want to look at something else? Another alternative could be to implement the 12-hour fasting rule. And the 12-hour fasting rule is exactly what it sounds like. (laughs) Now, I'm not a fan of fasting, generally. I would never do it. It would just depress me. But the 12-hour fasting rule can be implemented while you sleep which who wouldn't want to do that that you don't even have to do anything you're asleep and what it is basically what it says on the tim right it's having 12 hours away from food so if you have your dinner at 7 p.m you don't eat again until 7 a.m and that can have a similar impact um, as the 80 percent rule because it's giving your gut half the day half of a 24-hour cycle away from having to digest food which again means that it can focus on just first of all, just resting, not having to constantly be triggered and overworking and overburdened. But secondly, time to heal and repair. And you know what's even better <laughs> is if you combine the two. <laughs> so you can do the 80% rule and have a 12 hour fasting as well. Now, obviously, these things aren't recommended for people with certain health conditions, you know, like diabetes and things like that. But that is the one incredible IBS hack that can really reduce bloating. And for sure, when I started getting really bloated in COVID because of not being able to go outside and move around very much and overeating and a lot of stress that is the one thing that really really helped me the 12 hour fasting rule is my absolute golden rule so try it and see how you get on so those are the top three tips that i swear by the top three tips for reducing ibs and so we've looked at what they are how to implement them and why they're so useful and just to recap what those three tips were in case you've forgotten already they were about the true role of food intolerances in IBS and why we need to identify and remove those trigger foods. Why probiotics might not work for IBS and looking at getting the right probiotics and looking at the other areas of the gut that need support, such as possibly stomach acid. And the incredible IBS hack that can massively reduce bloating overnight was not just one but two tips, the 80% rule and the 12 hour fasting rule. Uh, And if you find this episode useful, guys, make sure you hit like, you follow this podcast, you subscribe so you never miss an episode and I will see you on Thursday.